scripture reading this morning is from Luke 5, verses 27 through 39. Luke 5, and that's found on page 1599 in the Pew Bible. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belonged to their sect, complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is written, or it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus questioned about fasting. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says the old is better. Thank you, Brian, and thank you, uh, Anne, for that children's message. And together we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, which is the first here in Luke of the many meals that are described. And so our text is verse 29, where uh, it says, Levi, I'm going to call him Matthew because it's, it's Levi Matthew. It's Matthew uh, that we know. We know him as Matthew, who is also the gospel writer. And so... Uh, he held a great banquet for Jesus. He had the meal at his house. And a large collect, large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Congregation of Jesus Christ, we, we have finished our Christmas time, our celebration. The tree is gone. And so we move on to the life of Jesus the life that we see described for us in the Gospels, and we're taking this year the Gospel of Luke as our guide. As we do so, just after, uh, there are things just to point out, as, as we look at the life, uh, birth of Jesus in Luke 2, always the familiar story, then as Luke starts to explain the life and ministry of Jesus, he, he first, in Luke 3, talks about John the Baptist, and I want to mention that because John the Baptist comes to prepare the way, but it says in Luke 3, verse 12, that as John is preaching, as he is ministering in relation to preparing people to come to Jesus, it says in Luke 3, verse 12, uh, many people were coming, even tax collectors. So already there, you see the connection to Matthew. 
Even tax collectors were coming to John. And they came to be baptized. And it says, teachers, they asked them, what should we do? And John the Baptist said to them, don't collect any more than you are required to. And then I'm thinking, this, this was probably Matthew. This was Matthew, who, who had come to John and, and, and who had heard from John the Savior was coming and, and who was trying his best to not be a, a, an evil tax collector, but, but to serve the Lord. And, and so he was working this out. So there is that previous context to this account where Jesus calls Matthew as a disciple, that there was something there, and that the gospel is for people like Matthew. Then in Luke 4, uh, Jesus is, is called out into the wilderness. And in Luke 4, uh, Luke in his gospel sets up the, the reality that Jesus comes absolutely as the Savior of the world. But in Luke 4, Jesus is confronted by the devil. And the devil is against everything Jesus is going to do. And so that opposition is clearly there from the very start in Luke as well. Jesus is coming, great, his birth, wonderful, but there are... Opposing forces, the devil, and in our reading, the Pharisees come as an opposing force. They come criticizing Jesus and his ministry, and that opposition continues to grow until in the end, the Pharisees will demand that Jesus be crucified. So all of that is is in the picture. As Jesus goes forward now in his ministry, that there will be opposition, and we see it already here in, Ma- in Luke chapter 5. In reading from Luke chapter 5, this is where Jesus begins to call his disciples. Jesus is going to gather around him a close group, almost like a family. And especially the 12 disciples, they are with him all the time, and they are living with him. And it's as if, as if he's calling them into a, a close family relationship. They are walking together, working together, eating, sleeping there. This is going to be the group now. And, and Jesus starts by calling, hey, Peter, James, and John. If you read the beginning of Luke 5, it says, he goes, he's by the sea, and there they are, and these are good, hard-working guys. And they're maybe not trained, instructed, maybe they haven't had a lot of education, though there was, in the family groups and in these areas, there was discussion about the Bible, there was discussion about faith. And so these were good men. These were excellent choices, really. Overall, good, solid, teachable people. And so Luke 5 starts with that. And Jesus calls them to be his disciples, to be <coughs> fishers of men. And, and they would have been the ones even who were initially catching the Peter fish. So that's nice, kind of a tie to our, our talk. Out of the Sea of Galilee, they would have been the ones who were the fishermen who would catch this kind of fish. But here in our reading for today... Jesus calls Matthew, Levi, Matthew, a tax collector. And that 
that is not such a good choice. That is, in fact, a very iffy choice. And so the, the reality that though Matthew, I would say, was one, obviously interested in, in what John the Baptist had said, interested in the saving work of God, I would argue that he was one who had gone to John, who was, was trying his best, so he is, he is maybe a good candidate. But, but overall, tax collectors were not good, were not received well, were not appreciated in any way, and especially as they worked with the Roman officials, and, and often they were dishonest, often they were untrustworthy, often they were just demanding things. And even, even the story about the Peter Fish, where the tax collectors came to Jesus and said, you have to pay your taxes, and then Jesus paid them through through the fish having the coin in its mouth, there was a very negative, negative understanding of, Pharise- of tax collectors as ungodly, not worthy of any, uh, any uh, advantage or, or, or being drawn in. And so the Pharisees especially said, do not associate with them. In this story, Matthew is called by Jesus. He is called by Jesus to be a disciple. He is, he is called to be part of the family, part of the close family around Jesus. A tremendous honor and privilege. And, and he understands that. He's amazed. He, he rejoices. And that flows into offering this meal, this feast, verse 29, where, where Jesus begins to teach him and the other disciples and even the others gathered there about what it is he has come to do. So in Luke, Jesus' teaching is really centered around meals. And this is this is all of this takes place around a meal. Everything Brian read, the, the whole section, is, is around this meal. Here is where Jesus is, is ministering and, and teaching and engaging people. All that takes place is at this meal. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus invites people to, to meet him in the meals he shares with others. He invites us to understand him better in the meals he shares with others. The, the reality of meals at that time was, was centrally important. Meals were, were places, were times, where, where people gathered um, in terms of, of, of very significant taking the time of being together, having opportunity to speak with each other. We've, we've lost that. Meals for us are, are quick and gone. Meals for us are, are very different. You have to recognize the, the centrality, the importance of meal. You're invited to a meal in mealtime. You come, you spend time, you talk, you, you engage around meals too. People would remember the great things of God. They would, they would have a faith component. And that, that trickled down from the great feasts 
in Israel, the Passover and, and the Feast of Thanksgiving. And of course, in those great feasts, there would be discussion about what God had done. But that would also take place on, on the Sabbath meals too. Like on the Sabbath day, they would have a special Sabbath meal and talk about too the things of God and the things of faith and things they'd heard and learned uh, in the teaching of the day. And, and so that meal, and then right into the very personal daily meals in the home. That that, that was not just, oh, we got to eat something and go. No, that was, we have to sit down and, and reflect. And, and it was a place to, to engage and to, to also engage in what God was doing. And so those realities are, are involved here. Jesus um, gathers here at a meal to speak to others really, of God's grace. And, and in the Gospel of Luke, every time we see Jesus at a meal, it's always an opportunity to minister into the lives of those around him. It's always that. It's not, oh, what do we have? I like it, I don't like it. Let's eat, let's go. It's, it's opportunity, apart from whatever we're eating to minister, who are you? How are you? How is it going? How are things? Where is God present? And so, so that's, that's the reality of meals that is being expressed here. Now, in all the ways that Jesus could have ministered to people, and he did minister in different ways, the Sermon on the Mount, different teachings here and there, but he chose meals often. This was a key area, table fellowship. And he, he did that, I think, partly too, because for us, we do need to eat. We need to eat. That's just, as human beings, we are as physical, we need to eat some food just to keep going, right? And then along with that, the hunger of our souls, the, the, the spiritual food, that we can say, oh, well, we don't really need that. Well, we do. We need that every day in the same way. And so with Jesus' ministry around meals makes that connection of, well, our faith, our hunger for God is equally basic to our physical hunger. You wake up in the morning and you think, man, I'm hungry. I need some breakfast. Then you think at the very same time, I need my Lord today. And to see how, by God's grace, to go forward in the day in his strength, in knowing and loving and serving him. That, that has all broken down in our culture. We don't eat together as much anymore, even as a family. Even, even to eat as a family one meal a day. I know that's a challenge for many people. And you think, what is that? But it is because in the morning we're up and, well, God, I got to go early and I got to go later. And, well, I, I catch the bus later and I'll just grab a bowl of cereal and I'll get going whenever. And, and in the morning everybody's running around. Don't actually sit down together and eat together. You don't have time for that. 
And at lunch, of course, we're all everywhere anyway, so we never have lunch together because everybody's everywhere. And then at supper, well, that one child has this, and one child has that, and I've got this, and I've got that, and, and yeah, we'll just grab something and get going. You know how that goes, right? And even, even if you're just the two of you, it can happen, oh, we'll just grab something, sit down, I want some of this, you have some of that, you make it yourself, and we'll just keep going. And then, and then the saddest thing, too, is if, if you have a chance and everybody's actually there and, and we're all kind of eating the same thing, uh, we'll just flip on the TV and we'll, we'll all just sit and watch some dumb whatever. And nobody talks and nobody really engages with each other. And nobody, yeah, this is how it's gone. The whole sense of, of having a meal together and actually just being together and, and speaking to one another and listening to one another and offering encouragement to one another. Well, we're a family and we're, we just do stuff together and we, we know generally, but there's never really that time. Just that daily time, that special time. That's, I think, too, part of the opposition of our culture that the devil loves to throw in and everybody's running around and no significant contact, talking, listening to each other, really takes place. And then things start to fall apart and faith is not built. Why did Matthew have this meal? In Matthew 5, verse, Luke 5, verse 29, Matthew is accepted by Jesus as a disciple, and Matthew right away has this meal. Why? He, he wants to honor Jesus, no doubt. He does. He wants to give back to Jesus. Jesus has, in a way, honored him, and he wants to honor Jesus. But, but his goal, even in inviting the other tax collectors, is that that they will sit down and they will be together with Jesus so Jesus can speak to them. They can have a faith conversation that, that Matthew can even maybe give his testimony, say, I, I was not following God, but now, by God's grace in Jesus, I am. And so others can be encouraged. And around the meal. That's his goal, that we would sit and talk and listen to Jesus and listen to each other. And that's why he invites all his colleagues. He wants Jesus to minister to them. Now, at this time, most of the people regarded tax collectors as evil. And at this time, to eat with someone meant to accept who they were and what they did. And so the Pharisees respond specifically about that that you are not to eat with these people. But, but Jesus is teaching a new paradigm. He is teaching a new way of seeing. He is offering grace to sinners who are hungering like Matthew was. These tax collectors too, sure, they were, they were getting rich, but they weren't happy. They are hungering for the truth of who God is. 
and his grace in their lives. And so at this meal, he offers them that. And people still hunger for that acceptance today, even in our community, in our church, in our homes. People are hungering. He also adds the, the, the analogy that, that people are sick and need a doctor, verse 31. People, people are not healthy. They have no strength. And Jesus comes as, as the great physician, the doctor. And, and just think about that for a minute. Why does Jesus give that example? I think that's very similar to our examples. When, when you go to the doctor, we have a doctor here in the, in the family health clinic. It's, 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 boy, is that, you, you, you wait in the waiting room, right? And then they call you in. And then they bring you into this tiny little room. Have you had? You're sitting in this tiny little room, right? And the doctor squeezes in, sits down. You're sitting like, like this. It's like, and he's right on you, right? What is wrong with you? I mean, there is no distractions, right? There's nothing else going on. I mean, you are engaged, right? And he is going to get at it. You tell him it hurts somewhere. He's aware. When did it start? Why? How? You know, okay, this is, this is good. We are not watching TV together. We are, we are talking about what is important to me. And we are going to make some progress here. Jesus said, I am the doctor. I am the physician. I call you into a little room. I want to sit down with you. I want to ask you how you're doing. And I want to help you in any way I can. With all my knowledge, with all my power, with all my grace, with all my love, I want to help you. Look at me. This is important. This is encouraging. Jesus comes as the doctor. That picture is one of of taking the time to listen, of, of being spiritually engaged. And Jesus reveals himself as the one who wants to do that. But we, in, in our busyness, in our distraction, in our running around, we, we cannot, we, we often just give up on that. Even just a personal devotion, devotional time with the Lord. Say, we don't have time for that. Just to sit down one-on-one with Jesus. And let him speak his truth into our lives. In our culture, in the culture then, the best place to explain these serious personal things, to be encouraged, was at meals. And and Jesus recognized at a meal where people are hungry, where sinners also are hungry for the gospel. And so uh, where people are coming to faith, here is a, a picture of Jesus' work with Matthew and with others, Jesus calling them to health, to hope, to wholeness, in faith, in him, and in God's saving work. And, and that even leads in Matthew's life to, to actually writing a gospel to share that good news. 
Yet we see that opposition. The Pharisees, they feel Jesus should be fasting, which is the opposite of feasting. But, but Jesus is here, and, and he is doing something new and great and glorious. And so uh, there is celebration because he has come into a troubled world. Uh, he is the light in the darkness. Uh, and that's why, that's why Jesus is at these meals, these feasts. There, there is something different when Jesus is there. There is feasting and celebration. And so, so we always seem to see Jesus at some meal in Luke. Um, in Matthew, uh, trying to explain things. Uh, and he mentions even here uh, Luke 5.34. Jesus answers, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? And the picture here is, is, is Jesus' ministry is, is, is a coming of the bridegroom. And so that's a celebration. That's a, a celebration of the presence and power and love of God. So, so here in Luke 5, 34, 35, Jesus references the wedding tradition. And, and in weddings where were seven-day feasts, so huge celebration. And then during that time, no fasting was permitted. So, so if you were at a wedding, but normally, like the Pharisees did, you fasted twice a week, you didn't fast that week. Or, or even if you were mourning, and, and mourning sometimes went on for like 20, 30 days, you didn't mourn and you didn't fast during a wedding because everything is different then it's it's the the work of god jesus is making the point to feast that he is the bridegroom and it is a time for celebration and and he goes on to express what that is it it says uh, jesus is present the sick are being healed Uh, sinners are coming to repentance uh, all, all of the goodness of God is coming into view. The blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. The saving work of God is present. And so we want to celebrate that. And, and the meal with Matthew demonstrates that. Our meals should demonstrate that. Our meals should point out our risen Lord is present among us. We, we try to do that as we begin and end meals with prayer. I hope you have that tradition. Uh, many of us do. If you are at a meal and you want uh, breakfast, lunch, supper, why do you begin with prayer? Why do you end with prayer? Because a meal is a spiritual thing. To remind us, okay. And then as you pray, then, then you, you bring in too. If you're at breakfast and, and you're wondering, there are things in the day that you might be worried about, then you include them in the prayer. And you ask, Lord, Lord, be with me in this day, in these things that I'm worried about. So the meal becomes a spiritual time. And then if you're there with the family, you talk to each other about, well, well, 
that the Lord would be with you in this day and, and that the Lord would be with, yeah, even some of the, the children at school if they're worried about things. And it becomes a spiritual coming together. That we make our meals a time and a place of considering who God is and his presence among us. And also that Jesus is an active presence in our lives, nourishing our hearts and souls as we look to him in worship and in prayer and in Bible study and in, in our daily lives. And so at the end of the day, around a meal, that, that you can talk and, and say to, where did you see God today? Or if you pray together in the morning, Lord be with me for this and that, and then at night you come back together, and then you say, how did that go? And by God's grace, things worked. And so you are encouraged in your faith. Jesus is present around a meal, around a mealtime. What a gift. What a good, glorious thing. So this morning, I want to just encourage you to consider how you can make your mealtimes those kind of times. And, and really, that's, that's a renewing work, like the, the, the new wine and the new wineskin, that we continue to, to see the place and importance of, of that opportunity to reflect. And I wanted just to highlight the, the devotions that are part of the World Hunger Campaign, and just for, for families or couples or even individuals, that you just take a little time. Now, in a way, like these, these go in your mailboxes, and, and sometimes our response immediately is, well, that's not going to work. That's not going to work because we're running around all the time, and it's never together anyway, and so... Well, make it work. Make it work. Take this wonderful devotion, which reminds us, first of all, even, even around a meal, that there are many who, like Anne said, only have one meal a day. And we have three chances to, to reflect with this material. So very thankful right away as we reflect on the meals that we have. And then let, let God speak into your life. I, I just looked through quickly, beautiful devotions just in terms of God's care in our lives. And then, yeah, if, if you have with the family, with the kids, they're really nice stuff, really fun stuff. And then, like Anne said, there's even stickers. And even us older folks like stickers. They're great. So you can take a little time and just receive as a gift of God time to reflect on what he has done, what he is doing, how he calls us to be part of sharing his love, also for those who don't have nearly as much to eat, and that we would take that opportunity around a meal to build faith and thanksgiving in our families, to, to actually receive a meal, to let it, let it slow us down a little bit, to let it help us focus. Receive that gift again from your God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for our daily bread. We thank you also for your word and your will 
that guides us and leads us and he seeks to help us when we in, in sin and in the distractions of this world can, can lose sight of who you are in the center of our strength and hope, which is you.